from the book of Acts, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Let me just start this out by reiterating that in no way is wearing a red chasuble to be confused with being a Buckeye fan. Just let's get that out there. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And I've been thinking about this all week, about the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church, and something which occurred to me is a story which happened just a few days ago. If you don't know, um, about two years ago, we launched a preschool here at Trinity Episcopal Church with nine kids. Uh, I think by the time we actually launched, we had about 21 children or so. And in just two years, two and change, we've gone from nine to we're projecting at least 55 children enrolled this coming fall. It's been a great, yeah, it's awesome. It's been a great, uh, it's, been, it's been a great success. It's been a great, great witness to the hard work of our directors, uh, Rini and all of our teachers. And most importantly, I think it's attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest, right? That this is not a man-made thing. Um, and, the, and the beat on the street, as we hear, is that this new school is the, is the best school in Vero Beach. Uh, it is a thoroughly Christian school. It is a parochial school, meaning there is no division between the church side and the school side. We don't take any government money. We don't teach critical race theory. In fact, <laughs> well, in fact we, I, I, truth be told, we don't teach any theories. They're preschoolers, right? We're just teaching them to not, you know, anyway, so... But the point is, we offer, we offer a Holy Spirit-driven Christian alternative to government schools, and the demand is high, and so is the need for godly Christian teachers. And why I'm telling you all this is just this past week, I interviewed a young lady. Um, I mean, I'm sort of the last interviewer because Rini, the director, she does all the due diligence. But, but I met this young girl, young woman rather, and I said to her, so, uh, so why do you want to teach preschool anyway? And she said, you know, I, I love kids. I said, okay, that's good for you. Uh, I said, she said, it's my ministry. And I said, you know, we only hire Christian teachers here and who are active in their faith, and she is. She goes to St. Um, uh, Athanasius, or the uh, Roman Catholic School uh, Church down in Fort Pierce. But I began to ask her about her, her ministry to teach, and she said, you know, I went to dental school. I got a degree to be a hygienist. I was going to go finish that up, and I decided to scrap it. And she said, it's nothing against being a dentist or a hygienist. She said, I just really love kids. I went back to school to get, finish my degree in education. She said, I just, this is what, I did not solicit this. She said, I love teaching children. She said, it's my mission in life. She said, and I quote, it is my calling. I'm glad someone's called to teach two-year-olds because it's not my calling. Uh, I told her that. Uh, but it's her, she really felt it was her calling. It was just an awesome thing. And it got me thinking about Pentecost and just calling in general. I really do believe, and if you know me, you know this is true, that every person has a call on their life. Every, every person, including the person sitting in your chair, in your seat, has a calling on their life. It's not just for clergy. Everybody, including you and me. And so the question for today on this Feast of Pentecost, the incoming presence of the Holy Spirit, is how does God call us collectively, like launching a school, and in particular, how does God call you as an individual? 
because the interesting thing is, if you don't know the history of what's going on, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in, rushes in. I'm going to get to that today. And God takes this band of fearful, scared, uneducated men and women and literally changes the world, changes history with these people. Eleven to begin with. And the way he does it, conveniently enough, is in three steps. This wasn't easy, I'll tell you. Anyway, God calls them, point one, and this is for us too. God called them, God empowered them for their call, empowers us, and God gave them the results. So God, how did, how did this ragtag group of losers, frankly, uneducated, unskilled, fearful people who are hunkered down in a quiet house change the world? Well, three reasons. God called them, God empowered them, and God gave the result. So what you might not know before we dive in is this idea of Pentecost. Pentecost is actually a Jewish, a Jewish feast day. If you don't know your ancient Near Eastern history, briefly, uh, at, at the Feast of Pentecost, Jews from all over the known world would converge on Jerusalem. So Pentecost is not a Christian holiday. It's a Jewish holiday wherein the Holy Spirit arrives. So these people from all over the known world arrive in Jerusalem to do one thing, to bring their sacrifices, their tithes, to the temple. And if you go through here, and by the way, Debbie, great job reading that this morning. I always worry on this, on this day for the reading, uh, because Luke lays out all these groups of people. It sounds like just word games, but he says, you know, all the people from all Jews from the entire known world, Medes and Parthians and residents of Mesopotamia, and my favorite, Elamites. And the reason I love Elamites is because there was a woman in a parish I belonged to that would read this lesson, and she had gigantic teeth, and she would go, Elamites! And it was both fascinating and terrifying to me, I'll confess. I cannot shake that. I can't shake it. That was 30 years ago. But anyway, if you take, if you take a map of the, of the world and put pins on the map of El, wherever Elamites are from and Parthia and Cappadocia, you see basically a layout of the known world. And so Luke's point is like if he'd said this, people from all over, the, people from, all over from Miami and Chicago and Los Angeles and New York. Point is that everybody has arrived. Everyone is there. Jews from all over the known world are in Jerusalem to bring their tithes and offerings to the temple. It is a party. But notice something really, it's subtle, but it's a super important point. Jerusalem is jam-packed with people, right? Jews from all over. Elamites, right? Who doesn't love an Elamite? And despite that, if you notice, the Christians, these new Jesus followers, are hunkered down. They're not out in the streets at first. Luke says they were in the house, in quiet, in prayer. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is hugely important, they, the eleven, were all gathered together in one place. Stop there. That is a hugely, hugely important point. Why is that? Well, that idea, the Greek idea there of being together in one place doesn't just mean they're all, you know, standing in the same room. 
Incidentally, it's probably the same room where the Last Supper occurred, where they were gathered when Jesus arrived, where they were gathered when Thomas was there and Jesus arrived. So it's probably, it's probably some, someone's home that was sort of secluded and hidden because they're hiding there, right? Because they're afraid they're going to get whacked if they come out as these new Christians. But the idea is they're all gathered together in one place, in this oikos, this house, and it says that they were all gathered together. It doesn't just mean in the same location. The Greek nuance is really important that they're all gathered together and on the same page. Listen, they are all waiting, waiting, waiting for God. Remember just last week at the Ascension, I preached on this a little bit, Jesus says, he ascends to heaven, and before he goes, he says, listen, Luke 24, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. Jesus says, but listen, stay in the city, Go back and chill and wait until you see power arrive from on high. So what are these people in that room doing? Well, what they're not doing is partying with the Parthians. What they're doing, listen, is they're waiting. They are waiting. They are waiting for God to show his next move, and that is a hugely important point. The point here is simple and profound, and it's this first one, that God comes to us, friends, when we are gathered together. Jesus says this, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm among you. Point one, that God calls us when we are gathered together. See, God's call, and that what I mean by a call is somebody being led out to preach, teach, provide ministry in behalf of the church— that call occurs in prayer. It occurs in worship. It occurs in individual people, no doubt about it. Everyone's got a call, right? But when we gather together, what Scripture says, this is the premise of Pentecost. They are gathered together in one place, worshiping God, praying with one another, waiting in patience, waiting even in fear, I might say. But they are gathered together in worship, just like we are doing right now. So let me ask you a question, because this call thing is a lot more, it's a lot simpler and a lot more mundane than you might think. It's not just about great big whiz-bang stuff like planting a school or, you know, I don't know, whatever. The call is a day-by-day thing, an hour-by-hour thing, a minute-by-minute thing. So here's my question for you as we gather together. What's on your heart right now? What prayers do you pray What prayer did you pray when you walked in this morning? What prayers will you pray when you are gathered here together? All sorts of things. Health for a loved one. Patience for a child or a grandchild who's driving you crazy. Maybe you want some direction on where to go with your job or your career or where you're going to live. Or maybe you just need wisdom, right? The ability to discern what, Lord, should I do? Maybe you prayed for a short short sermon this morning. Guess what? The answer to that one's no. But... I really want you to think about this for a second. This is important to just consider because Pentecost is not just a historical event. It happens here when we gather together. Because all prayer, friends, is fundamentally the same thing. Making our petitions before God. Giving him thanks for what he has done in our lives. Adoring him for just his being and who he is. And after all that is said and done, the whole purpose of prayer and gathering together is to be patient for God's answer, 
to listen for God's call. And I want you to consider this, that when we gather together as a family, as a parish, as a church, to worship God and wait for his call on our lives, in our individual circumstances, I want you to consider this, that the Bible knows nothing about a lone ranger Christian. And an occasional swing-by church to check in, that's just not biblical Christianity, man. Biblical Christianity is gathering together with your parish family. So here's my question for you. What is God calling you to do? And I don't mean in a big way. I mean simple things in life. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. How is God calling you to live as a child of his, to live as one of God's people? One of the commentators I was reading this past week said this. I'm going to quote him. He writes, God's spirit is poured out upon a community of believers. Friends, here's the thing, you know, we need each other as Christians when we gather together to pray. We need each other. People join this church and they say, I walked in here and I can just feel it. It's true. And what you're feeling is the, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? What the Holy Spirit says, what Jesus says is actually true. When we are gathered together, The Spirit is present here with us. You can feel it. We need each other. We need each other side by side to wait on God with one another, to be patient. And friends, I'm going to tell you something which you might find shocking, but I am not a patient person by nature. But I will tell you this. I learn patience. I learn to just sit in the unknown and the waiting by being present with you, by being present with believers, by being present with, with others when we are gathered together, because therein the Holy Spirit is there, and therein the Holy Spirit teaches me to wait, to be patient. So we gather together. God's call on us as individuals starts when we gather together to pray, to sing, to encourage And then secondly, we see the second point is God calls them, these Christians calls us, but then he also empowers them. See, this is the cool thing. God's call, listen, God's call on us together as a community, he calls us and then he empowers us for that mission. Back to the gospel. Luke says this, the apostles were gathered together and suddenly, Luke describes in the book of Acts, the arrival of the Holy Spirit as something like a, something like, it's a metaphor, something like a rushing wind. Imagine. And now it's not a wind. There's no big giant fan in there. It's something like a rushing wind. Well, what does that even mean? Why, why a wind? Well, there's two words you need to know in Scripture. Well, you don't need to know them, but um, they're important words. The first word is the word ruach, and the se- it's a Hebrew word. And the second word is the word pneuma, like pneumatic or pneumonia. And they both mean God's his breath, his wind. See, in the Bible, the wind of God, the breath of God, listen, is a, is a creative force. We see it all over. In the beginning of in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the, beginning of the, in the beginning, the world was formless and void, and God's spirit, Ruach, hovers over the deep, and the world comes to be. And then state Genesis 2, Jesus, God takes a lump of red dirt and breathes in it, Ruach, and this becomes Adam, this man of red clay. The point I want you to see here 
that the breath of God, the wind of God, is a creative force. It creates something new, which means it also gets rid of something old, right? Whenever you create something new, something old has to go. I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, I just want you to realize that this wind here, you know, as a Floridian, we think of wind as destructive, right? Dangerous. But, well, in the Jewish mind, it's, it's dangerous to a degree, but it's also something which creates something new. And the point I want you to see here is that when, when God's call comes onto our lives, when he calls us to something new, it creates something. Think about it. When God called you to get married, that was something new. When God called you to have children, wow, that's a biggie. He called you to something. When God called you to retirement, when God called you to join the best church in Vero Beach, but no, the thing I want you to see, right, is these are all things, these callings are all something new, right? But it's also involves something destroying, if you will, something old, leaving something behind. When you get married to somebody, man, you give up a lot. You give up your free time. You give up all sorts of things. When you have children, even more so, you give up, you know, all sorts of stuff when you've got little kids running around. My point is, God's call, his breath, his change on the individual human, the presence of the Holy Spirit, calls us to something new, but also calls us to leave something behind, letting something go. I mean, let me show you from the text today. Peter, this presence of the Holy Spirit comes in, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the first thing that Peter does? Peter's one of my favorites, right? Peter's the guy who betrayed Jesus three times. Peter's the guy who crawls out of the boat, walks out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and he walks on the water until he realizes, oh, wait, I can't do this, and he sinks, right? Peter's the guy who's always putting his, his uh, speaking first and thinking later. He's kind of a coward. He's kind of a, you know, put your finger in the wind and see where things are going guy. That's where Peter is by nature until the Holy Spirit comes to him. And then Peter, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, says he stood up, which means he, he is effusive, and he says, Men of Galilee, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My point is, you see, the Holy Spirit, when he calls us, he calls Peter, he calls you, he creates something new, but he also gets rid of the old. A call from heaven, friends, a call from God is not always something fun. It's not always something, yeah, I can't believe this is great. Yeah, it is that. But it's also letting something go. It's a just, the call is both creative on the one hand, but then by definition, destructive of the old person that you were. So here's my question for you. Where is God calling you minute by minute, day by day, hour by hour as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a priest, whatever. How is God calling you? What is he calling you to? You know, that Greek word, the Greek word there for, for call is a, is a Greek word, a power of the Holy Spirit is this word dynamos, and it's where the word dynamite comes from. Boom! It blows up, but it also creates something new. So here's my question. Where is God calling you right now? And it doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be bold, but it does need to be real. It might be praying for others. It might be uh, towards the renewing of your marriage, which has been challenging for a while. It happens. 
But where is, the, where is God calling you to make a change, to be something new and letting go of something old? And where is God calling you to be a member of this parish, supporting each other and as the body of Christ in a sacrificial way? You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, in our culture today, people are frustrated by a lot of things. It's kind of always the case. But anybody can complain, man. Anybody can whine. But Christians are supposed to act. We're supposed to do. I mean, if the church, if the church, if you and I are not willing to fill our call to be salt and light, to witness to a better way, if we don't do it, friends, who will? So where is God calling you right now to change the world for good, starting with the people that you live and work with, to change the world for good? Because God calls us. God empowers us. But the third thing, and this is what I think is the coolest part, is that the Holy Spirit actually gives them, gives us success. Look at this, verse 34. As the people see these apostles speaking languages that they can't speak and understanding languages from people that can't speak their own language, like Elamites, Verse 34, verse 43, excuse me. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done, listen, through the apostles. That word dia, it doesn't mean by, by their power, but it means the Holy Spirit working through them. Here's the thing. As Christians, friends, our call is simply this, to be instruments, to be instruments, to be instruments of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He writes this about himself. He says, I planted, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, he nurtured the church, but, Paul says, God gave the growth. What I want you to see here, friends, God's call on you, God's call on me, isn't about me. It's not about you either. It's about him using you for his work. I am a priest, and I am very aware that God has called me to this, that he's equipped me for this, that I'm an instrument in his church, but I'm also very aware that it is only by his grace that anything in my ministry bears any fruit at all. And I want, friends, you to realize that when God calls you, he will empower you, but he will also give the result, and that keeps you humble. I want you to rest in that, friends, Because God does not call us to be successful. God does not call us to be a success in the world's eyes. All he calls us to be, you see, is faithful. That it is the Holy Spirit that makes these things go. And if you're having a hard time in your call in your life, have you asked the Holy Spirit to come in, to indwell within you? Have you asked God to make make you an instrument of his work? Because it is only the Holy Spirit that allows us to do the things that God calls us to. So friends, let me just challenge you this morning with, again, the three points. That as a church, we are called together, to be together, to wait on God for his call. We are to wait for God to call us individually. And then we are also called to watch the Holy Spirit do his thing. To use us, to use you. To use you to change the world for good. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that came down on this day. 
to empower us, to embolden us, to give us clarity and call on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who changes us, who makes all of our work to your glory. I thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church. Keep us faithful, keep us joyful, keep us humble. Make us instruments of your work, empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.